Subido. Welcome in to Dragon Ball Super Dope. Super Dope doing full songs this week. You're in Dragon Ball Super, check out Dragon Ball Super Dope wherever you get your podcasts. You're already doing the podcast listening, so commit. Subscribe. Do it now. God damn it. All right. Here we go. Looking at chapter 71 for the Dragon Ball Super manga this week. Um, so we're going to do that. I, I had a plan to do like some Patreon stuff with questions for people. We're going to do a little bit of that uh, this coming week. I'll explain. Originally, uh, this week was supposed to be about Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, with Aunt Grimulia, but we unfortunately had to uh, cancel our recording on Sunday. So uh, also, if you hear like trucks driving by and shit, just, you know, roll with it, man. Uh, roll with it because it's just the nature of where my street is now. I got big, heavy ass trucks rolling by all the GD time. Anyway, um, we were supposed to do Falcon and Winter Soldier, but it had to cancel last minute, unfortunately. So, um, I was going to wait a week for the, uh, super manga to be out. We get together with the patrons, have a little discussion. I'm going to do a quick rundown of what just happened in chapter 71. Cause it was a really, actually it was a pretty fun chapter. Pretty cool. Pretty pretty cool. So we're going to talk about that, but I do want to get a couple of Falcon Winter Soldier things down on the record after the fact. So uh, we'll talk about 71 first, and then we'll do Falcon Winter Soldier at the end. If you're looking for Falcon Winter Soldier, scroll ahead. Oh, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe you don't like Dragon Ball. What's wrong with you? Cut it out. All right. Chapter 71, The Heater's Plan. So... I guess if we're looking at this chapter in like, you know, big, broad chunks, right? We've got three different parts of the story going on right now. Goku and Vegeta training with Whis and Beerus. Uh, we've got Granola waiting for further clarification on where Frieza is so we can go exact his revenge. He, he's just hanging out. And then we've got the heaters, Alec and his gang, who are trying to pull the strings behind the scenes to get Granola, Goku, Frieza to basically all take care of each other so that way the heaters can rule supreme throughout the galaxy or whatever and overtake the freezers. Heaters versus the freezers. That's where I'm at in my life talking about this right now. Um, I say that, but this was actually a pretty fun chapter. It was well plotted or well paced, I should say. Um, gave us just enough of everyone's story, I feel, um, each respective chunk to kind of get me excited to see what happens next month which uh, you know is best case scenario going into a manga each month certainly not the way i felt about the dragon ball super manga over the last couple of months um i, I was worried that we were going to start recycling story beats like really early on which i'm sure they'll get to eventually but if i can enjoy some uh some cool ish new kind of stuff in the early parts of this arc i'm here for it really leaning into this goku Whis and Beerus and Vegeta relationship. That's one thing that people in our fandom have been uh, pondering about for a long time. You know, what if uh, the next God of Destruction was Vegeta and Goku was his angel attendant? And it's like, yeah, but Goku's not an angel, man. But even though I, I don't think, I, maybe Vegeta could be a candidate of God for Destruction, but I don't really see a situation in which Goku is about to replace Whis. So, Either way, on that, um, Goku is fighting Whis's staff in this chapter and getting bonked on the head uh, repeatedly in the early parts before eventually he, you know, stands up on top of it 
pretty cool shots in this month, uh, this month's chapter. Uh, visually speaking, some of these training scenes were they're fun, like fun on the page. So I'm very excited to see them get animated at some point in the hopefully not so distant future. Goku and Whis have this conversation. I think we had, you know, allusions to it last month, but kind of like firming things up here for us. Uh, Whis is encouraging Goku, you know, you have to be able to utilize the Ultra Instinct state at all times. You know, uh, what you're doing right now is a transformation. If you have your your heart and your mind calm at all times, you'll be able to be in an ultra instinct state at all times. Like I am, like me and the angels, you know, it's what we do. And I could see like a bunch of steam coming out of a bunch of YouTubers ears about, oh, what does he mean? Ultra instinct's not a transformation. Ah. And then he, you know, clears it up two pages later and says, even though we don't want you to treat this like a transformation, we still have the transformation in your back pocket as a trump card should it get there so i'm sure that we will get there but in the meantime goku's whole mission i think is going to be i think trying to calm himself um which you know obviously calm mind calm heart uh is implied based on this conversation right but what gets goku out of bed every day besides you know hopefully copious amounts of food right it's the prospect of being able to go train better himself, but hopefully fight other strong people. And when we wraps up this conversation and says, Hey, I don't think you guys are going to have much time. A new enemy approaches or potentially a new enemy approaches. Um, Goku, you know, starts to get excited again. Like, Oh, this is the guy the Oracle fish was talking about. I think maybe they're trying to make a concerted effort to chill Goku out a little bit and maybe take away some of the D bag qualities of his personality. I guess maybe trying to fight all the time probably isn't a super positive character trait, but it's one that we just have with Goku, right? So um, one that we've had, we've accepted, and uh, I think maybe, I don't know, I'm probably giving them a little bit too much credit here, but I'd like to think maybe the character will grow a little bit beyond that. We'll see, I guess. It is, um, given how strong he is, it would make sense for him, his next biggest hurdles to be, I want to say mental, but like emotional as well. Like those hurdles are going to be something that's harder to master for Goku than figuring out the Kamehameha in 10 minutes or uh, Ultra Instinct in 40 minutes, you know? So I, I think maybe that's how they're posturing themselves. I don't know how much they'll follow through on that versus how much they'll just revert back to Goku being dumb, stupid Goku. And at the end of the arc, he'll hit the Ultra Instinct transformation as the trump card. They've already written that out um, for themselves very early on. So will they commit to Goku maybe having a, a little bit of a development in terms of his demeanor? And I, I, don't, I hope so, but I'm not really counting on it. Y'all see Vegeta fuck up those logs on the waterfall? The log waterfall, if you will. That was dope. Super dope. That was one of the panels that we had come out after the leaks last week that I did a quick episode on was panels of Vegeta hakaiing uh, a huge, it looked like a wall. We didn't really have context of what was just destroyed, but it's Beerus sitting on top of a waterfall, sipping on a milkshake, throwing pieces of log over the waterfall edge. Is that what you call the edge of a waterfall? On like a song title. Anyway. 
Vegeta's on the other end, just practicing his high energy and eviscerating these blocks. And Beerus notices he's doing pretty well with it, sends over this huge, massive block. Vegeta responds, uh, rises to the occasion, absolutely destroys the shit out of that waterfall. It's nice to know that we had him get a new set of powers. I don't want to say new set of powers, but a new ability in the last arc and his energy disperse, dispersal, I think. I forget the exact name of it. But whatever he used to crack the crystal in Moro's uh, thing and then get rid of all the accumulated energy that he had within him, that's a really cool, unique, useful ability Vegeta learned. Now that they're seemingly giving him the full um, training or regiment for what a, a God of Destruction would do, what a Hakaishin would learn with Beerus, it's cool to know that they're going to, it wasn't a one-off in that last arc, that they're going to continue to differentiate uh, what these characters uh, do and don't do and how it, it's nice because it kind of reinforces like what these characters have generally been about for the last 25 to 30 years. So to have them line up with each respective master, Goku with the angel, uh, Vegeta with the God of Destruction, super appropriate. I love how they're doing it. And uh, I'm excited to see more of what they do with my boy Jeets. End of the chapter. Well, since we're here, end of the chapter, uh, before they go back to Earth to go meet Maki and Oil, uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, Beerus gives him an earring. All right. Uh, I think I like it. I think I like Vegeta with an earring. I've never had an earring, but I'm not Vegeta, so couldn't pull that shit off. He sure as hell can. Go ahead. Fuck around and talk shit on Vegeta's earring. Uh, Caillou. The last thing I wanted to mention before we get away from the Whis, Goku, Vegeta, Beerus situation, they give, Whis gives Goku and Vegeta the, the hint, like, oh, somebody's approaching. I don't know how much time you are going to have to fully prepare yourselves, but you have to continuously look to, you know, better yourselves in the coming time uh, and get stronger than you were the previous day. And there's that really funny panel where Goku and Vegeta look at him like, yeah, no shit, man. That's what we do. That's, do you know us? sayings that's what gets us out of bed every day like i said why else would you think that we're here so Weiss gives them you know a very vague cryptic hint like that right goku goes on to ask if the new guy approaching or the new potential big power approaching as a bad guy is that the one that oracle fish was talking about all that Weiss then goes on to tell them yeah you know i'm not really sure this person just recently appeared so i'm not fully aware of their intentions yet but when I do become aware of their intentions, I can't really tell you because that's kind of interfering. You know, I can't do that. Can't interfere with you mortals and what you are up to. Can't give you any hints. Even though I just gave you a hint 10 effing seconds ago, and I'm currently training you to be able to fully utilize the power of Ultra Instinct, something that only the angels have mastered in the way in which I'm training you to, to learn it. Like, I don't get it. Isn't what. Isn't what we's doing currently, wouldn't that currently be classified as interference? Am I, am I crazy? Isn't what we's doing more or less the same thing? What more or what, um, Miris, that's his fucking name. Isn't that the same thing that Miris did? Miris started teaching Goku how to use Ultra Instinct and then he went and fought Moro for a minute, didn't he? Am I, and then he disappeared. So I got to reread the end of the Moro arc, I guess, or at least that chapter, um, my point is, isn't we sort of interfering here? What are we doing? Is we trying to train up Goku 
and interfere on purpose so that way he gets erased and Goku's got no choice but to uh, take over the, the angel attendant position at Universe 7? We's trying to train up his replacement so he can retire? Is that what I'm watching? I don't think permanent erasure from the universe is retirement, Weiss. What the fuck? I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. I think it's very strange that he's very inconsistent in what he will and won't do for the Saiyans. Like, uh, I don't know. Pointing it out. Moving on. Uh, Elec and the Heaters, uh, they're going to try to... I think the time is right. So they're going to send Oil and Maki to Zuno. That way they can get the location of the Saiyans and figure out what their weaknesses are. They also give them like another list of a bunch of questions, Alec does. And we don't get to know what all of the questions are, but we do know that they certainly ask about Goku and Vegeta's location and what their weaknesses are. And then after they leave Zuno, the Zuno scene's funny. You know, Zuno's apparently a fucking creep. There's the harassment panel, very, very funny stuff. They head to Earth and immediately find Chi-Chi and Bulma. And they're like, hey, where's your husbands at? We gotta hire them to beat up this big bad guy who's ruining our lives on our planet. His name's Granola. Where's your husbands at? We got, a, we got money. So Chi-Chi, she likes money, right? Um, they get on the horn with Whis. The boys are back home within a half hour. And they are going to depart to go find Granola. But there's a, a good 30-minute chunk of time that they've got to fill for uh, them to be able to reach Earth. In that time, Oil and Maki take a bathroom break together, I guess, and they uh, find the Dragon Radar. Smart move. I wouldn't have thought that they would have thought to do that, but hey, cool, man. Maybe that's one of the things they asked Zuno. Is that something that they learned from OG73 already? This is what I get for not having all the manga right in front of me as I do these. But, you know, I got shit to do today, so good call on them to uh, get the dragon radar. But they get the dragon radar, and they turn it on, and they're looking for the location of the Earth Dragon Balls. This is why I stopped to point this out. It's obviously important that they got the radar, but they're looking for the Earth Dragon Balls, and there's no signal for them. And I don't know if it's, like, not fully thought through time jumps. I feel like they've given us... So much time since, because uh, the Earth Dragon Balls, I don't believe, were used in the Moro arc. The Moro arc was the Namekian Dragon Balls. And the last wish that we had, or that we saw Dragon Balls grant, was from the, that set of two star, uh, excuse that set of two Dragon Balls that Namaito, whatever the fuck his name is, made uh, on planet Serial. We haven't seen the Dragon Balls on Earth used, I don't think. I could be wrong. Let me know if I'm wrong. I don't think we've seen them used since the end of the Broly movie. Canonically speaking, I, I don't think they should be stone right now. Unless it's just like a miscalculation and how much time has passed in the, in the comic book and they didn't do the math out properly. Maybe they forgot something. Or, my question here, I saw this suggested on Twitter from somebody else, so I can't take credit for this, but because I would just chalk it up to a mistake honestly but somebody was like hey you know what if the what if somebody used the dragon balls off screen and, and we're yet to learn about it and that's why they have this little quick little scene of like oh no the dragon balls are stone i guess boo not something that you typically pay attention to because it you know the dragon balls are you know always stone until you need them right um in this case though it would be a cool little detail that 
most people would overlook, myself included, and I make a fucking Dragon Ball podcast, uh, a quick little detail that would be easy to overlook that could set up a potential plot point in a super interesting way. Uh, who's the other you know, factor or the other party in this entire equation for this arc that we've yet to really see? Frieza. Lots of you know talk about him. Everybody wants to kill him, understandably so. He's pretty well aware of what Earth Dragon Balls are up to, man. He knows. Maybe he figured out how to summon the dragon and did it while everyone was away. Or Vegeta and Goku at a minimum. I don't know. Just something I thought it was worth pointing out. Um, and then the last piece of this manga chapter this month, right? So Goku and Vegeta are sold. Goku's, you know, obviously pretty eager and stupid to be able to fight somebody strong. He's all in immediately. Vegeta seems a little bit more suspicious, but th this part of their chapter ends here this month with them getting on the ship with Oil and Maki, 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 Go and Maki, and they take off on this trip that'll take, I think it says 18 days, maybe that's another thing earlier, I think it's 18 days, to get to where Granola uh, is currently. Um I think Goku points out, he's like, hey, you guys are like some kind of weird refugee, uh, you know, planet on the brink of destruction because of this big mean man, right? Pretty nice fucking digs for, uh, you know, such war ravaged people or whatever. Good call, Goku. Keen eye. Uh, I will give it back to Maki, though, on that. She was real quick to be like, oh, you know, we know that you're our only hope. So we rolled out the red carpet and wanted to make sure you had everything you needed. So... This is a lot of our people's resources all right here to make sure that you get there and you're well-rested and safe and ba 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 Click on her feet, man. Very cool. Um, so the last part of this chapter, going back to Alex's grand plan here. Um, he wants uh, Frieza out of the picture, so the heaters will be ruler supreme, blah, blah, blah. So is, now that he knows Granola is the strongest in the universe, he thinks Granola will be the guy to hopefully be able to, you know, help clear the path for him uh, with Frieza and the Saiyans, respectively. So he's sent his two people to go get Goku and Vegeta to come beat up the big bad man, Granola. And then he tells Granola at the end of the chapter, hey, we figured out where Frieza is, but here's the thing, man, we screwed up. They know now that you're on your way, that you're, you know, basically just like, Time isn't on your side anymore. Like people are aware of what you're about to try to do. Sorry, we let that slip. So that way, there's like a little bit of a ticking clock for Granola. He doesn't have time to dick around and wait. But then he tacks on the extra fun thing at the end. Hey, by the way, he's got these uh, two hitmen. Uh, they're Saiyans. Yeah, Saiyans. Those are those guys who blew up your planet, right? And killed all your people. Yeah, those Saiyan fucks. Anyway. Guess they all didn't die. There's two of them. So good luck getting your revenge on them too, I guess. And, you know, say no more. Granola's on his way. So chapter 72, um, I'll be curious to see if our heroes uh, do meet up or, or reach the planet where they're going. Um, one thing I feel like I talk about each month with um, these new chapters, because it's a monthly manga. It's a, it's a little bit longer. But I look at it from the perspective of taking this from the page and translating it into episodes. And with so many different storylines going on here in this arc, some of it dedicated specifically to just training Goku and Vegeta. 
some of this chapter devoted specifically just to Alec and the Heater Gang, um, you know, getting ready to put their plan into motion. Uh, some more of it, you know, the Zuno, like Maki and Oil going to Zuno, that's an entire Dragon Ball Super episode right there by itself. And then you have a couple of flashes over to like, I don't know, Bulma and Chi-Chi on Earth before Maki and Oil uh, show up, you know? Like, that's kind of how I think about these episodes, because I, I think to myself, it's just been manga exclusive for, fuck, almost, uh, has it been over two years now? Two and a half years almost? I think it's two and a half years it's been manga exclusive. That puts us at what? At about 36 chapters. They have probably a hundred, I would guess, a hundred plus episodes if they really wanted. You know, that's what some of the obligatory anime filler put in there. I'm not talking like a, a slim down Dragon Ball Z Kai kind of thing. I'm, I'm talking like the way Dragon Ball Super's pacing went from episode to episode, arc to arc. Wanted to stick to something similar. I'd, I'd argue that you have at least 100 episodes worth of material that you could start rolling out right now. And then over the course of that two years that it takes you to air those two, those 100 episodes... You know, you've got another 24 full monthly manga chapters to go off of in terms of new material. Um, can't be much longer, folks. Really can't. I hope not anyway. <sighs> Give us that GD announcement. I almost like hit pause on Super Dope last week because I've just been going through it. I feel much more myself today than I have in a long time, which this is why I have to get this out now, right? Um, also, I got to go do some like farmer shit in very short time. So I got to get this now. Um, been feeling myself more myself lately than I have been recently, but last week I almost hit pause on super dope for a little bit and just worked on super dope plus ultra. Uh, if you're not listening to that, go do that links in the show notes, go review it. You bums help me out. Yo, um, I almost hit pause for super dope, but I know God damn. I know the day that I make an announcement on this podcast feed that says, Hey, we're going to take a little bit of a break on dragon ball and hit pause on the feed. Until maybe the anime comes back or whatever the fuck. I know like the within an hour of me hitting publish on that podcast, they'll make an announcement that Dragon Ball Super's coming back. <laughs> um, so some people have said, why don't you just make that announcement then? So we can, you know, have a little joy in our lives and get Dragon Ball Super back. And to that I say, eh, fuck you guys. You guys announce that you're ending your podcast and then come back and look like a dickhead a little while later. Anyway, patrons, my patrons, I love you guys. Uh, I wanted to put out a couple of questions to you guys about the Dragon Ball manga because I know the majority of you read it. So a um, couple of ways you can get your voicemail clips in. All right, this is me again. After the fact, I had to go re-record this 30 seconds because uh, microphones suck ass. Anyway, a couple ways you can do it. You can leave us a voicemail. We still have a voicemail line for some reason. 401-213-9596. You're probably going to be limited, though, uh, with the time you'll have to respond to questions. So the best thing to probably do, uh, open up your cell phone, use the Voice Memos app. I imagine Android has a similar compatible. Uh, I don't care. Use, use your Voice Memo thing and fucking email it. dbsuperdope at gmail.com. I know it's kind of a quick turnaround time, given that I'll be talking with Leonard tomorrow night, Thursday night, uh, around 10 Eastern. Uh, but if you can get in your thoughts, word, even better, though, if you're a patron and uh, you can make it tomorrow night, 
you check your uh, inbox on Patreon for the Zoom info and come hang out with me and Leonard. There's also a very real possibility you won't be able to join. You won't be able to get any voice memos back. And that's totally fine. You know why? Because here I am explaining why that's fine. Here's the sound. There's also a very firm possibility nobody will send anything back at all given this ridiculous turnaround time that I've given y'all. And that's fine because I can talk to Leonard about bullshit all day. But would like to have your input on the conversation. So here's a couple of questions that I wanted to get your thoughts on before I shifted on over to Captain America. And uh, see, I'm already calling him Captain America myself. I mean, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Here's my questions for you. Number one, what's up with the Earth Dragon Balls? Is this just some bad uh, time jump stuff? Like they're not properly uh, remembering how much time they've given us in some panels that say a few months passed, several months later? Or is it, you know, the conspiracy theory shit that I was talking about? Has somebody used the Earth Dragon Balls off screen and we've yet to be told about it? Is it Frieza? If you think somebody could have used them off screen, who do you think it was? Was it Tian Shinhan to get a second Chaozu? Maybe. Question number two. And this is something that I actually totally glossed over in the, the little rants that I just did. In chapter 70 last month, we get to see Granola fight two of Elec's um, henchmen. And the one that he doesn't fight is Gas. And it is, uh, we're meant to believe that he is probably the strongest among them um in this chapter we have a couple of panels where he's looking upset to about it to elect and he's like you should have let me fight a man could have could have done some work man but elect lets him know like you're you're probably the only one in the heater family that has the ability to surpass frieza pretty notable that that's brought up about him right and that they didn't show us fight him fight anybody last month my question number two is how do you think gas will figure into this equation he might just be you know some kind of like sub boss before we get to see the true power and extent of alec do his thing in the you know final act of this arc but how will gas figure into this arc will he figure in at all they're just gonna forget this motherfucker too who knows maybe question three the way this is set up right now we know that it's only a matter of time before we see frieza come into the picture so my question now becomes, um, we know Granola is not exactly a bad guy, but he is, you know, meant to be held out as the threat in this against Goku and Vegeta, for sure. They're on the collision course to fight. We know that Alec is not a good dude, but he's probably on par with Frieza in terms of uh, general malice, right? But that's the thing. Frieza is somebody that we've now worked with in two of the last big fights. Worked with us during the Tournament of Power. I say us, like I'm part of the fucking team. He worked with us uh, during the Tournament of Power, but he also was, you know, he's the reason that the guys had enough time. The guys, like they're my fucking friends. Again, gotta cut this shit out. Uh, <laughs> he's the reason that they were able to stave off Broly to go learn the fusion dance in the movie. So, uh, you know, I, I have feelings about using Frieza and yet another plot again so soon. But my question is, is it going to be Goku and Vegeta joining forces with Frieza to defeat an immortal um, Granola or something after Granola kills Alec because he realizes that Alec has been using him as a puppet this whole time? I could see a scenario like that. However, I could also see a scenario wherein 
uh, Granola, you know, isn't like a mortal or anything. And Goku and Vegeta do overcome and are able to contain him and then sway him over to the light side. So that way the three of them, uh, Goku, Granola, and Jeets, the G-Men, will combine forces to defeat Frieza and Heater at the same time and rid the world, uh, Galaxy, Universe 7, of this, um, you know, real estate bullshit foreign investors coming into our planet buying up all the real estate with their space bucks or whatever got feelings about foreign investors in the real estate market right now so i'm not going to get into it all right so that's question three is it going to be goku frieza and vegeta or goku Ornola, and jeets what's your call on that one last final i guess i'll call it an extra credit question extra credit question that shouldn't be that hard to say uh is we not interfering right now by training goku and uh you know kind of giving them heads up about big strong opponents coming the way and all that um is that not interfering i only want big brain answers on that shit so i'll come with like no it's not interfering i expect a thoroughly thought out answer Again, um, voicemail, I guess you could leave us one, 401-213-9596. It's a song that we did to remember it, and we sang it wrong for like fucking three months. Or you can, again, use a voice memo the app on your phone, record it, send it over to me uh, through email at dbsuperdope at gmail.com. Patrons, I expect to hear from you. If I don't, well... I guess I could never really consider you guys a part of the conversation anyway. Now, could I? Yo, my neighbor across the street, I'm still learning like who the neighbors are in this place. Um, he's got lots of big trucks. And apparently he brought out his motorbike today. So if you just hear some random vroom, vroom, vrooming for fucking no apparent reason going on across the street, it's that guy. I have to go to tractor trailer supply company is that what they call it i don't know i gotta go do more farm shit today so i'm gonna give you some quick thoughts on falcon and winter soldier before i go pick up 200 pounds worth of fucking corn feed for rabbits and chickens or whatever the fuck um and then i'll come back home edit this shit post it up and wait for your answers about your feelings on the dragon ball superman gonna come rolling in and i'll be talking with leonard about that stuff tomorrow night thursday night around 10 eastern i believe so patrons if you are around um obviously you're invited there but i think voice memos would be the easiest because uh scheduling with uh you know like a dozen people is just typically impossible (laughs) never mind when you're working with my schedule which is impossible and so is leonard's so i'll shut up falcon winter soldier not shutting up about that I haven't really talked about this series at all in the past uh, few weeks. It's amazing. Episode five just came, was the most recent one to come out. Episode six, the finale will be coming out in a few days. Um, I think there's a real possibility this show gets a second season. It's totally doable. And I think easy to do it, 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 especially it could be like a, you know, another good opportunity to have one of these connective tissue kind of stories, connect bigger stories in the Marvel universe, whatever. I'll move on. I feel like the fastest way for me to kind of get my thoughts out would be to break it down by the major characters in the show. And I think like the four main major characters in this, I'm not going to do every single one, but I feel like it's um, Falcon, obviously, uh, Bucky, John Walker, and Zemo. So I guess what I'm going to do is just kind of give you how I think 
these arcs will round out through episode six and maybe what it means for them in the future of the Marvel Universe going forward, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do we still call it the Cinematic Universe, even though I'm watching the shit on my TV and not in a cinema? Not sure. I think we do, though. Yeah, we do. All right, never mind. I'm sure. Okay, let's start with Bucky. I feel like so much of what Bucky's arc has been to this point has been, you know, just redemption and trying to become who he would have been had his brain not been co-opted by a bunch of Russian sleeper cell people, you know, which is why he couldn't have the shield in the first place, especially the shield under like the, uh, the ownership of Disney. It's not a good look if you've got a former Russian sleeper agent who's murdered a bunch of people, including Tony Stark's parents, uh, be the next Captain America. So I, I get why he couldn't be that person uh, in in the movies. I, I think Sam is, and, and especially like Sam's arc in this of being somebody who feels like unworthy or unfit to carry the shield just from like a qualifications perspective in, in comparison to Steve Rogers, never mind putting in the whole, I'm a black man in America thing. Like the, I, I'm not going to talk about Sam yet, but with Bucky, I feel like so much of the arc has been about trying to make that amends and understanding that he needs to establish his own like self-worth, his own value and not have his identity solely be tied to his association with Captain America and the shield. Um, you could argue that is exactly the thing that has Bucky invested in the series is his connection to the shield. You know, he has that great line about how the shield is like the only thing that he feels that he has left. You know, like that's the closest thing to family because it connects him to the world that he came from, you know, 85 ish years ago at this point or whatever. So I think the obvious wrap up to his story is going to be, um, you know, he he has to make amends with the old Japanese man that you saw him having lunch with in episode one. Can't remember his name offhand, but he has to tell that gentleman that he murdered his son, you know, whatever, a couple of decades ago. Uh, how's that going to play out? Is that guy going to freak out? Is he going to forgive Bucky? Is he going to? Is he going to know already that Bucky was the guy and he's been waiting for Bucky to tell him this whole time? I'm not sure. But I feel like the future of Bucky's character is going to be around, it's going to center around the idea of like establishing his own identity away from that of Captain America and the shield. And I mean, a part of that most definitely will, especially if they do a season two, will probably be about his relationship with Sam now. Like, they have that cool moment, you know, after they do all the fix, uh, ship fixing stuff and, you know, hitting on your sister and all that, where they don't say that they're friends, but they're partners, and they're like, hey, you know, we have a, a friend in common, but the friend's gone, so we're just two guys. Like, that, to me, was them um, acknowledging, like, the beginning of, like, their... Like, they've been partners and, you know... um and I don't want to say partners in crime because they're superheroes. It kind of doesn't make sense, right? But they've been partners in battle for a long time, but now they're going to be like actual proper friends, which I, I find kind of heartwarming. Um, but obviously a lot of uh, Bucky's past was able to be integrated into this a little bit more easily with like the thing of, of him making amends with his book and also the utilization of, of Baron Zemo. So Zemo was probably the low-key MVP, everyone's favorite of this show for sure. 
I'm very curious to see what his future looks like in the uh, MCU. They could have very easily killed him. Uh, you know, they they do that little fake out with Bully, Bucky puts the the gun to his head with no bullets for some reason, and then lets the bullets drop in a dramatic fashion. I was uh, not in the trailer a bunch, but the Wakandans show up and take Zemo back into custody. And instead of bringing him back to Wakanda, like you would expect, they're bringing him to the raft. Um, so I, I think that's kind of a obvious precursor, you know, put Zemo back in jail so that, uh, especially at the raft where like, there's a bunch of other crazy supervillains, uh, and it's presumably under the authority of Secretary Ross. Is he still the Secretary of State? I don't know. Is he the president now? Who knows? Um, but it, it it's a perfect little setup for him to be able to put together the Thunderbolts or the Dark Avengers or, or something like that. I believe Thunderbolts in the books is actually led by Baron Zemo. So with him being such a popular character now, if you wanted to give Baron Zemo his own movie where he's the... Steve Rogers of, you know, a, a group of bad um, people, a la Suicide Squad. And uh, I, I think people after watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, if they wouldn't have been sold on that movie before, they're sold on it now. The Wakandans bringing him to the raft, though, the Dora Milaje bringing him there, my mind kind of goes to, like, uh, I, like why, why would they bring him there? You know, why wouldn't they bring him back to Wakanda? And I guess it would probably have to do with like how the Wakandans stepped up into integrating themselves into the greater world after Black Panther and what their role expanded and what that looked like in the five year uh, period for the blip, the snap. Do I call it the blip or the snap? I think I'm supposed to call it the snap, but if I lived in the MCU, I'd call it the blip. But I just go back and forth. Investing in this world, I guess. Anyway, I bring that all up to ask this question. Um, I know Black Panther 2 just recently got underway in terms of, I think, pre-production. I don't think they're shooting things yet. But without, and they've, and they've gone on record and said that they're not going to recast Chadwick Boseman. Wouldn't it be like the perfect... Uh, you know, given the circumstances anyway, obviously Perfect World would still have Chadwick Boseman, but given the circumstances, it would probably make sense for them to set Black Panther 2 in that five-year stretch, and we see how Wakanda gets themselves to the point where they were at the end of Black Panther 1, coming out to the world at large and saying, you know, we've been kind of holding back on all this stuff that we're able to do and all this technology we've got. Them, that's the end of Black Panther 1. And then the snap happens. How do they help the world recover? Are they involved with the, you know, the founding of the GRC at all or something like that? Like, what, what role does Wakanda play in that five-year span where now they're bringing Baron Zemo, somebody whose head that they, um, you know, they feel that they kind of own in terms of him being a prisoner. He killed the king, uh, T'Chaka. Um, what happened in those five years to get them there? Um, and you know, that kind of makes me think maybe there's more to the line. Uh, the Dora Milaje have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Milaje find themselves to be. Maybe the Dora Milaje are truly a internationally sanctioned police force now because during the blip, 
they were, you know, some de facto superheroes, uh, you know, on some secret missions when the world lost half of their, their heroes. Um, so Zemo Thunderbolts, I I guess that's kind of like more about Black Panther 2. Black Panther 2 could be that story, like how Wakanda finds themselves in the world without their king, because Black Panther and Shuri both did get snapped away by Thanos. So I think Black Panther 2, you, you risk I don't know. I think maybe you could write a story about Okoye or Io becoming Black Panther, a woman becoming Black Panther in Wakanda in the absence of the two immediate members of the royal family. That'd be cool. I could see that being the story, but also understanding how Wakanda gets through this whole thing. Um, Initially, uh, when I watched episode four and Zemo does his El Chapo and escapes through the bathtub hole, I was like, oh, dude. This might be a good way to set up Black Panther 2. Have it be fitting that he's the guy who kills T'Chaka with this, you know, terrorist attack bombing on that, um, on the, on the vote for the Sokovia Accords, right? And then they let him slip in helping, you know, Bucky and Falcon. He escapes, doesn't go back to jail. And then the beginning of Black Panther 2 could be present day. This is what I was thinking before this five-year idea popped in my brain, um, we could see the beginning of Black Panther 2. Zemo strikes back and does some kind of other Wakandan bombing and kills Black Panther because he hates superheroes. Like, yeah, we know that he has a hard-on for uh, killing super soldiers and all that, but heroes in general. You might see T'Challa as a threat even and decide that, and that's how you can kind of explain the fact that we don't have um, Chadwick Boseman. You know, he gets killed off-screen. You know, we see the explosion, but we don't see his body or what happens beforehand or whatever or it's referenced or something like that i don't know i'm very curious to see what they do with black panther 2 they're not going to recast t'challa so i don't know it makes all the sense of the world for shuri to be the next black panther maybe that's black panther 3 after the snap happens black panther 3 shuri takes up the mantle black panther 2 is like wakanda as a country trying to figure out what they what they will and won't do Uh, given their revelation to the world and without, you know, the leadership of um, T'Chaka or Shuri. So, I don't know. Uh, Let's see, two more. John Walker. Man, I love to hate this guy. Wyatt Russell is a uh, tremendous actor. All of those people who were like, oh, I just want to punch that guy in the goddamn face. He's the worst. I hate him so much. He's the worst actor. Nah, he's actually a really great actor. And you want to punch him in the face because he is a tremendous actor. Um, I think they've gone out of their way to make John Walker way more sympathetic than I would have expected knowing about the character coming into it. Um, I, I didn't realize this until I was much later on in life, but growing up, I had a John Walker action figure and I thought that it was just Captain America in like a black suit and I did not know the difference at all. And it was years later that I figured out like, oh, I didn't have a cap action figure when I was a kid, or that wasn't my cap action figure when I was a kid. I was actually a U.S. agent. Crazy. Anyway, but now getting to see that character played out on the television screen is very cool. I, I hope uh, he sticks around. Yeah, I feel like it's a 50-50. They could very easily kill this character at the end of this uh, season of this series, because I do think it'll get a season two. They could very easily kill him. But they could also very easily just have him step in, helps in whatever in whatever way he does. Because I imagine it'll be 
a redemption thing for him in this last episode. Um, all the stuff about him lying to Battlestar's family about him actually having gotten the guy who killed him and all that stuff. Um, a lot of people kind of looked at it like, ooh, what a scummy guy. Um, yes and no. Um, I think the thing that John Walker's, I think one of the defining things for John Walker's character is that he always has to say, he feels like he always has to say the right thing and he can't let people down. Um, and we see multiple instances of it, like the media stuff that we see in the uh, opening, the Good Morning America stuff, like that's that on full display in a public, in a public setting. For uh, that scene, and what a weird, what a cool, weird, surreal kind of scene that was when he has to go and talk to Lamar's family. Um, and he, you know, he tells the lie about how he got them, uh, got that person who murdered Lamar. And uh, he, we all know that we, that he didn't. Um, there, I think they've set it up in a way where, even though we know that he's totally, you know, off the beaten path here in terms of the morality, we know they, they've taken great pains to make sure that we all know he does come from a well-intentioned place, but, you know, good intentions pave the road to hell. Is that the saying? I don't know how sayings work. Um, he is a character that, even though he means well, he doesn't always necessarily go about, like, like it means to an end is a phrase that they've used in this series in regards to Zemo. Um, John Walker is, is not above utilizing all beans to get his end. Um, that end has been to this point. I'm Captain America, blah, 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 wah, 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 respect me. But now he's got a little bit more, uh, admirable, I guess, intentions uh, of wanting to, you know, avenge his best friend's, uh, untimely death. So also guy played Lamar fucking awesome. I wish that he hadn't died. Um, I would love if part of John Walker's redemption arc in like a season two or like a dark Avengers movie or something, because if he does stick around, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. Put him and Zemo together, maybe for a Thunderbolts movie or have him lead a dark Avengers team separate and independent of Zemo. Have the two teams cross over at some point in the future. So much that you could do. It's, it's so cool to see these minor, nobody Marvel characters in a lot of sense. I mean, us agent, Baron Zemo, fucking 10 years ago, most Marvel movie fans wouldn't have known who the heck these people were. And now here I am having a conversation with myself about the prospect of these guys maybe having like the lead in their own film or like them leading a team doing like the Tony Stark, uh, Captain America thing in their own respective movie someday. That's cool, man. Johnny Walker, you the man, except you're kind of a scumbag. Uh, uh, his uh, do-it-yourself home shield with his medal of honor pressed into it, melded into it. Wonder how that shit's gonna hold up. Wonder if it makes funny sounds like caps by Branium Shield. I know it doesn't, but um, and then the last person, the most important person in the series, uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America himself. I hope they call him Captain Falcon. So I don't know. This is a, I said it a couple of weeks ago, like in a couple of minor comments I made about the series. I, I don't, did I say them on this podcast? I don't know. Did I say them on another podcast? I might've said them on Super Dope Plus Ultra. Don't remember. 
I was very much of the opinion a couple of weeks ago that they could have ended this series with Sam just being like, yeah, destroy the shield. It's a, it's a relic of a bygone era. And uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm Captain America, but I don't need the shield, basically, is how I thought it would, you know, kind of wrap up. And he wouldn't actually be called Captain America, but he would exhibit the principles and virtues that Steve Rogers embodied as Captain America. And it would what would bring him back to that would be, you know, watching John Walker fuck up the way he did, even though he was held out to be the only logical next guy to take on that role, given his you know, qualifications and combat and blah, blah, blah. But in actual practice, it turned out to be not a super moral guy, you know? Sam Wilson uh, had, I think, a little bit of imposter syndrome at the beginning of this season, thinking that I'm not Steve, you know? But Steve gave him that shield for a reason, and he knew that Sam is the kind of person who would question, just ask the question whether or not he was worthy to, you know, pick up that mantle and go forward with it. Even if Steve simultaneously knew that you know, Falcon isn't a super soldier. He can't, you know, lift five tons over his head or anything. He is the most capable person in terms of the moral decisions that you have to make when you're in that position of Captain America. You know, you're a symbol, you're a hero, sure, but, you know, uh, you're also a, a person, you're also a human. And you're prone uh, to make mistakes from time to time. You know, Steve Rogers never made mistakes, but the fact that he tried to consider everything in the common good rather than you know just achieving his goal or whatever is one of the more important parts of what makes Steve Rogers uh, work as a character, what makes him uh, likable as a character. And I think he sees a lot of that, and that ultimately is what preempts him to you know, pick Sam as the successor, right? So you've got that kind of coming into it. You got Sam not feeling like he's the guy and kind of like struggling to figure out, you know, did I do the right thing or not? Blah, blah, blah. He meets Isaiah Bradley and Isaiah Bradley firmly reinforces like, hey man, you know, any self-respecting black man does not want to carry that shield and, you know, be the symbol or be associated with that symbol and all that it has stood for in the past, especially considering what they did to me. I really hope we see a young Isaiah Bradley uh, series. I don't know if it'd be a series or better off as a movie. I don't know. That would be super cool to see, which I think a lot of people I saw were upset that we didn't get any like flashback scenes and he just tells the, the, the story and we don't see any flashbacks off, you know, of him freeing his people from the POW camps. I hope that they didn't show us that on purpose because they are considering doing that storyline for a movie or a series at some point. That would be super dope. But you've got Sam who already doesn't know which way to feel. Isaiah Bradley coming in and reinforcing one thing. And then you've got um, Bucky, who, Bucky and Bucky who's trying to help Sam, you know, understand why they thought he would be the next, the next uh, logical pick or might be the guy who can, you know, be the next embodiment of Captain America. There's that great line about Bucky, you know, saying we didn't really consider what it would mean or what it would feel like to hand the shield to a black man or how that person would feel. Um, so you got Bucky kind of trying to pull Sam back over to that Captain America stuff. And then you've got the example of what 
you got the polar opposite example of what Sam would be uh, going on in real time with John Walker losing his mind, going crazy, caving in dude's chest in the street on Facebook Live for all to see. So at the end of episode four, when his wings get, or the, I, I should say the beginning of episode five, that awesome fight scene that we get between John Walker, Bucky, and Falcon, when John Walker rips and destroys his wings, he does get the shield back, and most of this episode is dedicated to fixing the ship and him doing training montages with lots of push-ups and running and shield throwing. Shield throwing in this show. I realize I'm talking about a GD comic book show, but I just got a lot of questions about how it works and how it doesn't fucking cut anybody's GD hands off. All right. Also, power scaling. Got some questions about that, but I, I don't know. I don't want to be a Dragon Ball nerd right now. All right. I'm trying to be a Marvel nerd. Shut up, Kyle. Having such a huge part of Falcon's identity being destroyed at the beginning of that episode in the wings, and then having it be replaced with the shield that we all felt has been rightfully his this whole time, that kind of leads us to think like, oh man, he's going to embrace this mantle of Captain America maybe, and you know, what's it going to look like? Is it just going to be Sam running around with a shield without any super soldier serum? Because that's something that they talked about too. You know, would you take the serum? And I don't think he has any intentions of ever taking a super soldier serum. That kind of has me concerned for Sam out in the field a little bit, trying to fight a, a super soldier with just a Captain America shield and some spandex uh, and, and without your wings. I don't feel great about that, Sam. Um, but the brilliant part about it is Bucky's relationship with Wakanda uh, allows them to, you know, get the wings repaired. Um, and he brings them to Sam, you know, toward the middle of the episode and says, hey, special delivery. I'm going to go now. I'm just kidding. I'm going to stick around and help you fix your ship and ship, boat, does it matter? And I'm going to hit on your sister. I think it's brilliant that you've got Isaiah Bradley telling him, like, you know, this is not, this shield does not mean anything to us or to me as a black man. It shouldn't mean anything to you. And the setup that they're giving us is Wakanda is instrumental. You know, this African nation that has apparently done a lot for the world since the snap, I guess. I mean, more to come on that. That's I'm kind of interested to see what they do with Black Panther too, and I hope it is set in that time period. Um, the growth of Wakanda as a nation, um, you know, publicly, I'm curious to see what that looks like. But tying in like the rebirth of Captain America and Captain Falcon with Wakandan-designed tech, I mean, yeah, it's good because he's going to get the wings back. Dope. I hope he's going to get some kind of, uh, you know, fancy schmancy suit, like a Black Panther-ish kind of suit where, you know, it's made of vibranium. He's bulletproof. That, that makes sense, I think. But somehow, some way, you know, I'd gone from destroy the shields to, all right, he's just going to be full-fledged Captain America now. Um, so they've, they've somehow managed to find like the perfect middle ground for this in terms of Sam reassuming the mantle of Cap, making it his own, but not holding himself out to be something that he's not. You know, a black man holding the shield is is great and all that, but with the Isaiah Bradley story as the uh, the undertone, you know, to kind of help Sam realize that, you know, maybe I should be the guy, even though the older uh, generation of black men might think that I'm, you know, doing some Uncle Tom stuff. I think having the restructuring of the the suit and the identity and having it be so steeped 
in Wakanda is a brilliant goddamn move. Very curious to see what the color scheme is going to be. Um, is it going to be full on red, white, and blue? That'd be dope. Is it going to be like full? Um, the wing is going to be like the gray thing, and he'll have a red, white, and blue like jumpsuit deal, or is it going to be like a black kind of suit? Because you know, African American Falcon. Ooh, Captain Falcon. I feel is what I'm automatically inclined to call him, but. Um, we'll see, man. I'm very excited to see, uh, what happens on this season finale. I think season two is very, very well within the realm of possibility. Um, I wish I could have talked to Aunt Grimulia about it this week, but Hey dude, uh, on the off chance you're listening, I love you and we'll figure out another time to record some stuff. Um, if you got to the end here, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, doing solo podcasts is not my favorite thing. Uh, especially last minute on a early Wednesday afternoon. Uh, if you read the Dragon Ball Super Manga Chapter 71, uh, if you're a patron, especially, I expect answers to those four questions. I'll hit you guys up with uh, the written piece and the Zoom link info for tomorrow if you're able to join me and Leonard. Um, if you're new to the show, hey man, welcome. Hope you enjoyed this. Hit subscribe. Tell your fucking friends, I don't know. How do things grow? Actually, you know what? I, I did want to stop and point something out. Uh, yesterday was 420. Uh, we released um, Super Dope Plus Ultra on 420s. We, we released like a rerun thing from an old Super Dope episode about Bakugo's birthday. It's real fun. But uh, Dragon Ball Super Dope <laughs> yesterday on 420 had its biggest download day ever for seemingly absolutely no reason. I don't know if everybody was just getting high and listening to Super Dope. That's that's the picture I'm choosing to paint in my head. Um, but it was like by a sizable margin. I don't know if we got a shout out somewhere that I'm unaware of, or I don't know if someone's out there like making fun of us. If that's the case, let me know. I like making fun of me too. I don't know. But um, if you're here uh, after, if you're like fairly recent to the feed, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I was going to do it for Super Dope. Uh, rate, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. Patrons, blah, blah, blah. 401-213-9596. DBSuperDope at gmail.com for those manga answers. And I will talk with you soon. Gotta go to track the trailer supply. I think is the name of the store. I don't know. Like chicken feed, goat feed. The fuck is my life lately? See you.